0: I did a quick uh, Google search of the word relationships, okay, and, and um, it, it brought up all kind of good stuff. And in my research and looking at, um, you know, trying to kind of figure out um, what people think of when you know you say the word relationship, or you know, what comes what comes to mind for just the average Joe, um, I discovered. Um, well, I thought about going to Yahoo Answers. Uh, (laughs) Yahoo uh, Answers is like a site where you go and you post questions, and then people... It's like a forum, right? So people respond with answers to your questions. And I don't know, maybe some of you use Yahoo Answers, and so don't be offended by this, but most of the people on there are are pretty, pretty dim. (laughs) And so there's some funny stuff on there. But I don't know, I was just interested, and I started looking... And, and here's some of the, the questions that I found. I think they're, they're kind of, I don't know, they might give us an idea of, of how people think about relationships. And this is in the relationships like section. Um, so here's one. Uh, why did he marry someone else when I'm prettier than his wife? Like loads. And then the designated best answer is, she might have more money than you. Right? So I don't know. Maybe there's there's something there. Um, is it bad that I want to go to jail on purpose? I'm 15, and, and I can't stand living with my family for multiple reasons. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I, that wasn't one of our students, just so you know. So we're good. We're good here. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe jail is an option. They feed you there, right? You can do classes. I don't know. Um, my friend's dad calls him by sweetie. Is that normal? <laughs> Is that normal? I don't know. That's, I don't know. I thought that one was weird. Um, why do I feel like biting my girlfriend? I don't <laughs> Cannibal? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways. Um, did my friend deserve to get punched? Probably, yes, if you, if, probably. Judging by the fact that you're posting this on Yahoo Answers, your friend is probably the kind of guy that deserved to get deserved to get punched. So, um, what should I do if my grandma hates me and insults me? Ooh. <laughs> I thought that one was funny. I thought that everyone would be like, ooh, that's sad. But for me, with my dark sense of humor, I'm like, okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> my mom is getting rid of my toys. I'm so mad. I don't know why... <laughs> I'm so mad. It's a question mark. My mom's getting rid of my toys. I'm so mad. um, He goes on to say, I'm 15 and my mom's getting rid of my toys. I still love them. I'm so mad. So I don't know how that's a question, but um, he's like, what do I do? Um, But anyways, I love geniuses on the Internet. I love to read what they have to say. But Yahoo Answers probably isn't a good indicator of how our culture uh, views relationships, or at least I really hope it's not, right? Because Yahoo Answers has a messed up view of what relationships are all about. Just judging by some of the questions that these people are asking, it's, it's, it's messed up. It's warped. Um, but I, I do think that it's obvious in our culture as a whole that we struggle with relationships, we struggle with them. They're, they're, sometimes they're bad. Like they're messed up. They're hard. And I just want to challenge you before we get all high and mighty, because what we tend to do is we tend to make this an us and them situation. Oh, well, we got it figured out in the church, right? But everyone else, divorce is terrible. They don't know what relationships are, and we know what it is. But the truth is the church struggles with this too. I mean, the, the divorce rate is, I think, the same or higher in the church. Like, like, the church struggles with this too. I mean, look around and see all the struggles and the fighting and the, the backbiting and the gossip and all the stuff that we deal with in the church, all the things that makes people say, oh, I don't want to be a Christian, I don't want to be involved in that. They're cruel, they're judgmental, they're all of these different things. We obviously struggle with relationships too. In fact, oftentimes, I think we get our definition of relationships from culture. How messed up is that? Or even even if we don't get our definition from culture, we still, we miss the point. We miss it. And it becomes about something it shouldn't be. We fight and we bicker and we, we think we're justified and all of this stuff, right? Guys, our, our relationships need some help. It's just, it's, I feel like it's obvious to me. Maybe it isn't to you, but it's, it's obvious to me. And let me be super clear. Before we move on, I want to be clear. When I say relationships, um, I'm probably not saying something that, I'm not probably not saying what you're thinking, right? When I say relationships, we think romantic relationships. I mean, that was kind of the, the majority of the Yahoo ans- or questions were about romantic relationships, marriage, girlfriends, spouses, whatever, all that stuff. But what I'm talking about is something broader, right? Um, Obviously, I think marriage... Uh, in the church is an obvious place where this deficiency of relationship is visible, but there's, there's more to relationships than just marriage or romance, right? Relationships can be a father or a mother to their child, right? A, a child to their father and the, their mother. Siblings, friends, acquaintances, right? That weird guy who dances in his birthday suit on your way to work, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are our interactions with people. These are relationships, These are relationships. I would say that our relationships, our our relationships, they're made up of daily and normal interactions, ranging from that one instance where you meet someone in the grocery store all the way to the more deep interactions that you have with a family member or a loved one. Our relationships are, are just us people being together, and we're bad at it. We're bad at it. But we're going to look at what a biblical relationship looks like. We're going to look at it in this beautiful passage of Scripture, Um, Ruth. Who loves Ruth? Come on. I love baby Ruths, but I also love Ruth. Um, I don't know. That wasn't a good joke. (laughs) Don't laugh at that. Don't be tricked into laughing at a bad joke. I'm just kidding. No, Um, but we're going to look at Ruth. And I, I think that this really illustrates what a biblical relationship should look like. Um, and so it kicks off, um, the, the, the book of Ruth, it kicks off in the time of Judges, right? So this is the time before Israel had a monarch, right? This is the time before um, the kings came, right? It was still a um, tribal culture, um, and they were living. And honestly, if you read Judges, uh, it was kind of anarchy, like it was crazy, and so this is the context that we, that we find Ruth. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but it kicks off in the time of Judges with a famine. Okay? So we have anarchy, and we have a famine. It's a lot of fun. And so we see this family from Bethlehem um, leaving uh, Judah to escape this famine. Okay? And they immigrate to the land of Moab. Okay, so this is a historical enemy of Israel. Now we don't find that in the text of Ruth. We don't. There's nothing to tell us that there's a huge conflict going on between Moab and and Israel or Judah. But we know from history that that is a, that is a thing, right? That's some context that we get. Um, but anyways, they 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 immigrate to the land of Moab in search for you know a better life, much like. Immigrants today, right? Um, and it's here in Moab that Elimelech, the father of this family, he dies. Um, and after uh, marrying Moabite wives, uh, the two sons in this family also die. And so we have, fa- okay, well, anarchy, famine, death, death, death. I love it. It's shaping up to be a great. Stor- biblical story, right? It it's, has all the, the workings of a, of a great story. Um, but here is Naomi, who is the mother of this family, and they, she's in a foreign land, and she's left, stripped of her husband and her sons in this incredible time of hardship, and she's distraught, <laughs> As you can imagine, we can imagine that with our own uh, you know cultural context, but understand that this is even more terrible because there's this is an extremely you know patriarchal society, and women needed men to survive. I'm not saying that's the way it should have been. I definitely don't think that, but it's the way it was. They needed men to survive they couldn't buy land, they couldn't have a career, they couldn't do these. They were completely, like, exposed and helpless when they lost their husband, if they didn't have sons to take care of them or they didn't have a father to go back to, right? And so that's why we see the Bible talking very specifically and very strongly about the treat- treatment of widows. This was very important to their culture so that these people wouldn't be completely just taken advantage of and strewn about and, and just destroyed, right? Right? So they need the, the, this uh, patriarch, right? So Na- Naomi has essentially received, you know, something comparable to a death sentence, right? Like this is a this is a big deal. This is not something that we can look past. She's been reduced. I mean, I'll be, like a, a woman probably would not have had very much status in the social on the social ladder but she's been reduced even further down another couple rungs right to virtually nothing but she heard the famine was over back home and so she decided to leave Moab for Judah right there at least she knows people there's you know the famine's over maybe it'll be better right but this as she's returning um, this, this beautiful scene arises where she tries to dissuade her daughter's-in-law from coming with her. Because there's nothing for them in Israel, right? Again, as, as I just mentioned, their husbands are dead. They have, they, they have no status. They can't survive, right? There's nothing for them in Israel. But if they stay, they can maybe go back to their families. We don't know their situation, but, but that's possible, right? That's something that would happen to a widow. If they had family to go back to, they would. So, or, or they could possibly remarry. Again, we don't know their situation, but that's another possibility. So she says, don't come with me. <laughs> There's nothing for you here. And so we come upon, again, this beautiful and, and sad scene where Naomi is be, uh, begging them not to come. And Ruth and Orpa, her daughters-in-law, are weeping, not wanting to leave Naomi. And in chapter 1, verse 14 through 17, it says... At this, they wept out loud. They wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn uh, back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So how incredible is that? I mean, come on. How incredible is that? So here we begin to see this incredible character of Ruth. We begin to see some principles that speak to what biblical relationships should look like. See, Ruth is selflessly committed. She's selflessly committed to Naomi. She will not leave her. She said, your people will become my people, right? Your God will become my God. Where you go, I'll go, all these things in this, this beautiful way. She says, I am committed to you. She'll follow Naomi even to certain poverty and suffering. Probably death, probably mistreatment, right? This is the context. But in the face of that, She says, no, no, I'm committed. She was going to this place as a foreigner, right? And Israelites and Moabites, they did not have a a good track record. Like historically, they did not like each other. There were violent conflicts, right? And this is where she's going. Talk about commitment. This is so cool. Right? She says, Your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. How powerful is that? This is the kind of commitment that we are called to in our relationships, in marriage, in friendship, in our family, to say, I am committed, I am loyal. The, the, the word here and and, and the, the, the concept here cannot be accurately described in a single English word, right? We can't just say, you know, this is loyalty, this is commitment, this is... No, this is love, this is commitment, this is loyalty, this is self-sacrificial, um, um, a self-sacrificial relationship. Ruth is laying herself down sacrificially in this relationship, and this is what we are called to do, to be selflessly committed, in our relationships, not only to the people around us, but also to God. The author shows us the importance of being committed to God, even when His interests don't line up with our own. Right? She says, God, He'll deal with me however He wants, however severely it might be. God will, I'm, you know, you're my God, right? She's committed. She's in it for the long haul. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't See, oftentimes we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm God's. I'm God's when, when, when reckless love is playing and I feel all fuzzy inside, right? Right? But then when the going gets rough, where are we then? Where, where's our relationship with God, with others, when it doesn't suit us? Oftentimes it's out the window, right? And I'm not just talking about like normal life hardships like sickness and disease and these and you know all these hard things that we all deal with I'm not just talking about that I'm also talking about when it doesn't go the way you want in church when 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 peace isn't doing it the way you want it done right what 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 are your relationships going to look like when you're not happy with what's happening? Will you be selflessly committed then? When God is dealing with you in a way that you don't want to be dealt with. Ruth was. She's calling you to be selflessly committed. It's interesting. For all Ruth knew, God was against her. I mean, at least in, in the text, all we know of, Naomi, and what, the, you know, the image of God that she's displaying is that previously she says, you know, God hates us. Like, God's, he's, he's coming against us, right? So for all, all Ruth knows, as far as we know, God is going to be harsh, right? But no, she's selflessly committed. And in chapter 2, we see this is where Ruth meets Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Love that name. Someone name your kid Boaz. That's awesome. I won't, but you can. Uh, yeah, but Boaz is a really, really cool guy, and we're going to get to know him in a little bit. But the poor um, were able to take a portion of crops that are left by the harvesters on the edge specifically for the poor. This was like a command. They were supposed to do this. This was called gleaning, right? You probably, you, if you've read Ruth, you probably heard about this, right? Um, or or um, other, other places in the Bible talks about it. And that's what Ruth is doing, right? They go back to, to um, home, right, for Naomi, and, and she's gleaning. And Boaz sees her, and he finds out who she is. He asks who she, she, who she is and what she uh, did and is doing for Naomi. And so he begins to favor her, and we see this in his actions, he tells his men not to harm her, he provides food for her, uh, letting her harvest, he, and, and he lets her uh, drink from the water, drawn by his men, and, and all of this, this, different, this different stuff, and it's this really awesome picture. We're going to talk about his part in a second, but real quick, I'm going to re- read verse 10 in, in chapter 2. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Okay, so she shows Naomi selfless commitment. That's important for relationships. Hold on to that. But now she she responds to Boaz in humility. In this incredible, beautiful humility. Not expecting anything. Right? She doesn't feel entitled um, to... The gleaning, right? She doesn't even feel feel entitled to to this thing that Boaz is doing for her. She she's humble, and she has this attitude for, throughout the entirety of this book. But here's here's what I want to want to point out: We live in a culture of entitlement. We do like, and and I I don't I say this, and I don't mean to I don't want to I don't mean it in a bad way. So don't misunderstand me, but. We say things like, I know my rights, right? And we have this long history of fighting for our rights and civil liberties and and you know democracy and all these really, really great things that I love. But I think what it's created in us is a sense of entitlement, right? The church does this for me because I tithe, or because I go here, or because They should do something to keep me here. Or you see what I'm saying? Like it's this consumeristic like way of looking at the church, right? Um, You know, cater to me because I'm the client, right? Or I'm the whatever. I'm entitled. I'm an American, right? Like I'd have rights. So we have this sense of entitlement that goes really, really deep. I think sometimes we don't even realize it. I'm definitely this way. I mean, think about it. And this is just kind of anecdotal. But when you're in a restaurant and the waitress, you know, is like high or something, you know, and you, she's like doing a bad job. You're like, what the heck? Like, come on. I'm the customer here. I get what the customer gets. You know, a fast service, and you have to do a jig on the table for my entertainment, right? We expect them to go, you know, a mile because we're, the, and, and I'm not saying like customer service isn't a good thing and you shouldn't expect it. That's, that's fine. Like understand, but understand our culture makes us entitled. I really believe that. I know my rights. <laughs> but we have to be careful not to bring that into our relationships, We have to be really careful because we do. And I've seen relationships where both parties are are living this life saying, you owe me this. You owe me, right? I love you, so you owe me. This is not the attitude of Ruth. We've got to come into relationships, whether new, whether old, with humility, not with entitlement. See, so you find yourself in this position where, and this is maybe for for married people or or anyone really, but you find yourself in this position when you have this uh, sense of entitlement, where you're saying you owe me, but they're saying no, you owe me, and then you're just this back and forth. It's terrible. Ruth was humble. We need humility in our relationships. Humility is, is not expecting something, not being entitled. It's laying yourself down, right? That's what she does to Boaz. She lays herself down. Why, why would you notice me a foreigner? But on the other side, on Boaz's side, we see him show kindness to a stranger, to a Moabitess, Right? To this person who probably would have been very, very marginalized. Very, very, you know, that would have that's a Moabitus, dude. Don't talk to her. You know, like you know what I'm saying? Like this is the, the 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 tension. She says, I'm a foreigner. It's hard to find a passage in Scripture that doesn't speak to prejudice. It's really hard. And it's even harder to find a passage that supports it, which people do, by the way, which is not insane. There's no room for prejudice. Boaz shows us the righteousness of contradicting the ethnic prejudice of his culture. Our relationships have to reflect an unbiased, unprejudiced love of God. They have to. And I'm, th- I'm talking about race, I'm talking about ethnicity, I'm talking about social status, I'm talking about situations, I'm even talking about sexuality, although I know that's a big conversation about, you know, you you can't, I don't know, it's a big conversation, but I'm talking about not showing prejudice, not showing, you know, favoritism, not being biased you see what I'm saying the love of God is unbiased the love of God is unprejudiced and that is what we have to reflect it's a powerful image that Boaz shows us but Ruth goes to Naomi right the story continues and she tells her who she or who she had met who had taken notice of her and Naomi is like whoop whoop right party yes this is good this is good. He says, he says in, in verse 20, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that man is our close relative. He is the one uh, of our guardian. He or he is one, sorry, of our guardian redeemers. So there was this provision. OK, set up uh, in the law. For families, so that they wouldn't lose their land, so that they wouldn't uh, really, it was really to protect families, right? And they could be redeemed by a male relative um, that would have been called, that we call like a kinsman redeemer. Who's heard that term? Kinsman redeemer. Yes, really, really, really interesting bit of scripture. We don't have anything like it now, but it's really powerful how God really uh, protects families and and, and values families, and it's interesting. But in order to redeem this family, this kinsman redeemer would have to um, purchase their property, like with money. (laughs) He'd have to buy their property after they had pretty much lost it for whatever reason, financial struggles, you know, fill in the blank. But he'd have to buy their property And since there was no living patriarch, and they couldn't own property without a living patriarch, right? He would have to marry Naomi. But Naomi was old, and she couldn't have children, so there would be no heir, so it wouldn't redeem the family. And so it had to be Ruth, right? And this is a pagan foreigner. Again, don't lose that. Don't don't forget that context. A Moabite, no less. And if he agreed, everything he owned would then become hers as well. Like, he would be bringing her into that. And who would do that? <laughs> and, uh, who would do that? Who would put themselves out like that for someone else, for a stranger, a foreigner? We're about to find out who would do that. <laughs> In chapter 3, verse 1, One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where, uh, where you will uh, be well provided for. Now again, there's that, that bit of context. Now Boaz, with whose uh, um, woman you have been, sorry work you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, <laughs> this is funny. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go uncover his feet and lie down. We, or he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So Naomi has a plan, and it's an interesting one, okay? <laughs> it's a, little, it's a little, uh, little stalkerish, a little freaky Um, But she says to Ruth, go get it clean, go get all pretty, and then go while he's sleeping and uncover his feet and lie next to his feet. Okay, for all you single people in here, this is what you got to do, all right? (laughs) This is the way to do it. Ask Pastor Sid. Didn't Pastor Sid uncover Heather's feet and lay down on the threshing floor? Oh, oh, okay, all right, all right. And she's like, he better not have, right? No, one, no man's laying on my daughter's threshing floor. <laughs> Jeez. I don't even know. I don't know. But, but this is weird, okay? I'll just be honest. This is pretty weird. And, and scholars actually, they're not sure exactly what this means. It means if this was like a tradition. Um, they're not exactly sure. It seems like uh, it's, it means something because he, he says he'll know what to do. He'll tell you what to do, right? It seems like there's something there. Um, but it's interesting um, to, to think about. I think it represents her laying herself down again at his feet, like humbling herself before him. But, it, but it's, it's in the Bible, so you should do it. Right? It's in the Bible, you should do it. But around midnight, Boaz, uh, startled awake, right? I'd be startled too. He looks down and there's a lady. There's a lady there. He says, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, you are, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So Ruth does what Naomi said, but she adds her own little bit there and she says, Spread your wings o- over me or, or, or spread your garment over me since you are the, uh, the guardian redeemer. This means, Will you marry me? Right? So who says the girl can't propose, right? <laughs> we have to remember the significance of the kinsman redeemer, okay? He's restoring their family purchasing their land, and he's marrying a Moabitess. Boaz mirrors Ruth's selfless commitment to Naomi back at the beginning. And this biblical idea of what a relationship should look like is brought full circle, right? We see Boaz displaying the same characteristics that Ruth displays this whole time. And it's really this powerful um, cycle of, of what, a, what a relationship should look like. And, and you can't help but see the imagery, right? To see what this points to. And, and I think it's so powerful. Boaz and Ruth both point to Jesus. They both point to Jesus, Now, that's not the original context, but as we know, Jesus came, and he is a redeemer. And we can see this in light of Jesus, and we can see that Booth and Booth, that's their celebrity couple name, Booth. Boaz and Ruth, they both point to Jesus. Booth. The book of Booth, I love it. See, Ruth, in that she came from from her homeland to serve and to save Naomi. There's even a parallel in the fact that Jesus was an immigrant, people. Like he was, you see what I'm saying? Like there's so many parallels here. Boaz, in that he redeemed the family, he redeemed Ruth and Naomi. He took their debt and he covered them. Just as Jesus came from heaven, and He bore our sin, He bore our shame, so that we could have life. This is Jesus. This is relationships. I heard a pastor say it like this. He says, There's a formal Redeemer, Boaz. There's a hidden Redeemer, Ruth. And there's a true Redeemer, Christ. Here's the deal. You can adopt the virtues that are displayed by Ruth and Boaz. You can treat it like Proverbs and say, this is some wisdom, I'm going to adopt this, right? You can apply them to your relationships, but unless this is a reaction to what the story is actually pointing to, it's no good. Everything we do should be a response to the gospel, and that includes our relationships. Jesus has got to be the reason why we are selflessly committed. He has to be the reason why we show humility in our relationships. He has to be the reason for our lack of prejudice. He has to be the reason for our unconditional grace and love. He shows us what it means to have a biblical relationship and that he lays himself down for us in humility, in humiliation, in suffering, true suffering. See, for us, relationships are like about power and domineering and being in control of someone or whatever. That's not what Jesus shows us. Jesus contradicts like so much of what we think of success, what we think of power, what we think of all these things that come into our relationships. Jesus shows us, Humility, right? He shows us this incredible life, and this should inform our ethics greatly. Our relationships are ultimately an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ, an opportunity to say, this is what Jesus is to me. I'm going to lay myself down for this random person. I'm going to lay myself down for my parent, even when I'm out of their house, right? We think, well, I'm out of my parent's house. I don't got to do what they say no more. No, no. We respect them. We love them. We lay ourselves down in humility and in sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. I'm going to lay myself down for my spouse. I'm going to lay myself down for my children because that's what Jesus did. And we see that in Ruth and Boaz. And it becomes even more powerful and incredible in the last chapter of Ruth where we see this genealogy that shows us that out of, of Ruth and Boaz comes David. And who is Jesus? A shoot, a seed, right? The, 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 the son of David. This is, this is powerful. A Moabitess comes into the lineage of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let, that's, a, that's exciting, ladies. Come on. Yeah. Right? This w- widowed woman who would be marginalized, who would be cast aside, is brought into the geneal- genealogy of Christ. This is powerful. Amen. And it brings even more meaning to this already meaningful passage. We have to respond to Jesus. We have to be selflessly committed. We have to be humble. We have to not have prejudice. And we have to unconditionally love with grace. But it has to be a response to Jesus. Amen? Will you come, Sandra? Thanks. I want to encourage you to think about... Your relationships, not just your marriages, that's that too, not just the obvious ones, but other relationships. Where can you show, where can you display a biblical relationship in your life tomorrow? Right? Make this practical because it is. You can't separate the gospel from practical ethics, you can't separate the gospel from our daily lives. It doesn't work. How can you have a biblical relationship with family that makes you mad <laughs> right that that frustrates you beyond all belief or that you know Lord Jesus help us God help us to have biblical relationships Because of what we see in your gospel, because of what you display for us, Lord, I pray that we would respond with commitment, with humility, without prejudice, with grace and love and selflessness. Just like Ruth did, just like Boaz did, and just like you did, Jesus. Thank you. Will you worship with me?